Well, I want to share with you from Psalm 31 this morning. I think that for us, and for me, the Psalms definitely became much more practical. As a youth, I remember reading the Psalms and kind of thinking like, what does this have to do with regular life? And now, and especially after going through a war, you realize that, wow, this is like theology integrated into real life. And so many of these Psalms were actually written in the context of war, in the context of a real enemy. In a similar context to what we found ourselves in Ukraine, where, where there's fighting going on, there, people are dying, there, there are real threats around us. And here David is writing these Psalms and talking about these things that he's struggling with. And some of the things that people struggle with in these situations is fear. And as David puts it in Psalm 31, terror. And so I've entitled this sermon, Terror on Every Side, which comes from verse 13 here in Psalm 31. And I want to read to you the entirety of the psalm because it is very powerful and it is certainly much more powerful than my own words. Psalm 31, a psalm of David. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction. My bones grow weak because of all my enemies. I am the utter contempt of my neighbors, an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My hands are in my times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, for, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I've cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love. When I was in a city under siege, in my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him. But the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope 
in the Lord. Amen? Amen? Certainly, we live in a world where there is terror. Unfortunately, it seems like it is multiplying, and none of us are immune from certain terrors in our life. For our family, we were at the center of terror when the war began a few months ago. But even before that, we heard whispers of terror as the troops gathered on the borders of Ukraine on three sides. And up to a month before the invasion, we got emails from the U.S. government saying, you need to leave, you need to leave the country. But it wasn't until about 5 a.m. on February the 24th that we got a phone call from our director saying, Ukraine is under attack. The missiles had already been sent, but they hadn't landed yet. And we got out of bed and weren't sure what to do at that moment. And a few minutes later, Christina actually saw one of the missiles fly by our living room window. It was still night, so it was dark, and she just saw the red glow of it. And about 30 seconds later, we heard the boom, and we knew that we were under attack. And there is an amount of fear and terror that enters your heart in a situation like that. Because you don't know where the next missile, the next bomb is going to come from. You don't know where it's going to land. You don't know when. And that's scary. And we see that David here also struggled with some of these fears, with some of these terrors in the midst of threatening situations. And so I chose as a theme for this sermon, verse 13. And the reason is because that's kind of like the central verse of this psalm. And as many psalms go, we find that the, it, it builds to a peak in the middle, and that's sort of the hinge for the whole psalm. And here he says that there is terror on every side, and we see his fear, but we also then see his faith. And it's very powerful. So I want to start by looking at this verse 13 here. David says, For I hear many whispering, terror on every side, they conspire against me and plot to take my life. If you look at the central section of this psalm that leads up to this, especially from verse 9, you will notice some very dark words. Words like distress and grief, sorrow, sighing, failing strength, bones wasting away, reproach, death. Dread, broken vessel, affliction. Yeah, that's kind of dark, isn't it? But that's David being honest with God and with us about his emotions, about how he feels at that point, about the terror that is around him. And certainly it is scary, and these words are foreboding and heavy and hopeless if they were just on their own. And so if you feel this way some of the time, you know you're in good company because David felt this way. We felt this way somewhat when the war started and at certain times. But that initial feeling of terror is not a sin. It's not a sin to feel this at times. Notice that the Bible never condemns David for feeling this way and doesn't condemn us. The reality is that we live in a fallen world and bad things happen, terrible things happen, and we can't go around pretending like they don't happen. So what is terror? Terror is a strong feeling of 
fear and helplessness in the face of danger. And that can be real danger or sometimes just perceived danger. Maybe it's, it's just the thought of danger. Maybe it's not really there. The Hebrew word magib is the word they use for terror here. And uh, this, this phrase actually is used several times in the Bible, terror on every side. And it specifically refers to terror as one's experience when they're surrounded by an enemy, which is really literally the situation that we found ourselves in. But we can look to a couple other spots where it's used in the Old Testament. Terror is often seen in connection with defeat. Jeremiah 46.5 What do I see? They are terrified. They're retreating. Their warriors are defeated. They flee in haste without looking back. And there is terror on every side, declares the Lord. Terror also leads to panic. Isaiah 31.9 Their stronghold will fall because of terror. At the side of battle, the battle standard, their commanders will panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. And then finally, we can see that terror left unchecked can really be self-destructive. Jeremiah 20, verse 4, For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. It's not a place you want to be, is it? And terror is a terrible thing. So there's a couple of things I think that we need to keep in mind as we think of this terror, and then we'll look at a little bit before this verse and a little bit after this verse. But first of all, terror is multiplied in the absence of truth. And if you look at the context of verse 13 here, we see that this terror is, is really sandwiched in by truth. What does he say? He says, People are saying terror on every side. You see, when people are saying terror on every side, it doesn't really mean that that terror is necessarily there. I mean, just turn on the news. How much of it is just them scaring you with all these things, whether it's COVID or world events or war or whatever it is? It's very easy to hear people say terror on every side. In fact, we know that even Russia was, was using terror as, as a way to scare us. And terror is used by people for, for their own purposes. And so when we watch news media and hear people talk hypothetically often about what could happen and potential risks all the time, we need to be careful that we're not listening to that too much. We need to bring truth in to the situation. We need to shine the light of the truth of God's word and look at the facts and what God says about these things. What does God say about our future? What are the sure things that he gives us and his promises? And that is one way that we can help to alleviate those fears very quickly. Terror is multiplied in the absence of truth. Secondly, terror should never dictate our decisions or our actions. We all experience at times feelings of fear and terror, but we need to learn to react and act in a biblical way and not just react out of fear. We see that David was very open and honest in sharing his feelings here, but his reaction was biblical. His actions and the decisions that he took based upon what was happening were soundly biblical. And it's so important that we do the same thing in the last verse 
verse 24, he says, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And of course, I think it's also important to realize that terror is a weapon, and it's a weapon that the devil uses very well. 1 Peter 5.8, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, the lion roars for a reason, right? To terrorize. That's why he roars. I've never heard a roaring lion at night. I have heard missiles landing at night. And it's probably a similar effect. It scares you. And the point is, is to induce terror. And... I think that sometimes we, we can be terrified by many things. We can be terrified even by our own sins in the past. We can be terrified by other people. We can be terrified by the news. We can be terrified by potential dangers. But don't allow the devil to use these against us. Don't allow the devil to keep us from doing what we need to be doing as believers and as those who carry the gospel forward because of these terrors. Because that's just what the devil would want. You to stop doing the things you know you need to be doing because of certain threats. And so Peter gives us very clear instruction here. He says, be alert and of sober mind. That's the opposite of reacting in terror. To be alert is to be aware of the devil's work. Yes, to be aware of certain dangers that are out there and knowing that they could come, but also soberly realizing God's will for your life and stepping forward in faith with the leading of the Holy Spirit and doing what is right despite the potential dangers that might be around us, not giving in to panic and terror, but rather serving the Lord and stepping out in faith and knowing that our God is bigger and stronger than any terror that might be around us. In fact, we made the decision to go back into Ukraine in early April, despite the roar of Russia, because we sensed God's calling and God's leading and we saw the need. And we realized that that was bigger and more important than any potential danger that might be in Ukraine. And so we went. The fact is that God does not want you to live in a place of terror. Yeah, there's certain natural reactions that happen. In fact, I noticed that now, last couple of days, you know, I'll be outside and one of these fireworks will go off. I have more of a response to that now. Because the last time I heard that, that was an outgoing artillery or incoming missile. In fact, you know, we, when we go back, we tell the, we tell the kids that if, if you hear you know, explosions going off, if the windows rattle, don't worry about it. It's probably just outgoing artillery. If the floor shakes, that's incoming. So you probably should find cover. So we learn to differentiate a little bit. Now I just have to know that if I hear it, it's probably just fireworks. So... But God does not want us to live in a place of terror. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
Don't let it happen. It's not necessarily just an automatic thing. We need to be sober and alert to make sure that this doesn't happen. We're not supposed to be living in fear. And part of the problem that I experienced is that when the war happened, we left and God, there was obviously, what I could see was God set that up so that we could help so many internationals come out and minister to them, minister the gospel to them. But after that was over, we felt like we needed to go back in. And some people said, don't go in. It's dangerous in there. So why, why should we live in fear? Because what, what I found is that if God is leading us in a certain direction, there ought to be no fear that will keep us away. And so simply recognizing this fact that God wants us to have his peace, we need to focus on that and not allow that fear to control us. Turn away those thoughts of fear with thoughts of God and trust in him. So, terror, that's a lot about terror, but let's look a little bit about what David said before that. David made some very powerful statements of faith really concerning himself. And I think those are important statements as well. And we see that David sandwiches this terror that we find in verse 13 with these powerful statements of faith about the past, about the present, and about the future. And it's a good thing we're not only reading the middle. We need to read the whole thing and understand it. But in a way, what we read in verse 13 is this claustrophobic type of fear and terror. Terror on all sides. Maybe some of you are claustrophobic. It's like terror, and you feel it closing in on you. It means that there's no escape. There's no way out. There's no simple retreat. And yet we step back and look at the bigger picture, and we see, wait a minute. But God is on this side of it, and he's on this side of it, and he's on that side of it, and he's on. We just need to take a bigger picture and look at it. My first time back into Ukraine in April, I came in on a Saturday, and it was a fairly quiet Saturday as far as I remember, but about 4 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, we had an air raid. Now, when an air raid goes off, my, our windows were closed because it was cold. The, heat, the city had already shut the heat off, so I don't always hear the air raid outside. But they have an app for that. They have an app for everything now, right? Even for war. And so they have an air raid app. So I got the air raid app on. Of course, I got it turned on. You know, and the air raid app goes off. Four in the morning, I'm like, oh, man. Okay, so the, what we try to do is you try to get at least two walls between you and the outside and not be next to a window because when the glass breaks, you don't want to be next to the window. And so, and we have curfew, so you can't go outside. So we, at that time, I think we had curfew from 8 or 9 p.m. until 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning. And so I, our safest room in our apartment is the toilet. And so I go to the toilet, and I sit on the toilet. It's cold. It's dark. I'm tired. I sit there for about 40 minutes. The error rate is still going on. You know, after a while, you're just like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to trust God and go back to bed. And so after a while, I got tired. I was like, you know what? I'm cold. I'm tired. I'm going back to bed. So I go back to bed, just fall asleep, and all of a sudden, I'm woken by the floor shaking. Maybe I'll go back to the toilet for a while. I go back to the toilet, and there's a number of large booms that rumble through. And 
crawl out of the toilet. No, I walked out of the toilet actually, but come out of the toilet just before 6 a.m. and called my parents and and I said I looked out the window. I said, "There's some very weird clouds out there." I realized those aren't clouds. That's black smoke coming up from whatever was hit. And that morning, went to church and on the way to church, actually went to my office to pray with a couple of brothers and big black columns of smoke rising up. We got to the office, met with them, had breakfast, prayed, going to go to church, which is about a mile away. Another air raid. What do we do? Do we go? Do we not go? So we've got to go. People are going to be waiting. And so got out, went, and, you know, we could actually hear the, I think it was just outgoing artillery as, 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 we, as we went to church. You know, and we could just focus on, on those things, those missiles that were landing, the black smoke, the rumble of the explosions. But God was doing something greater. And that's what I realized when I got to church. People gathered for church regardless. And there was a readiness to worship that I had not seen before. There was a readiness to listen to God's word that I had not seen before. God was doing something greater. We just needed to step back and look at what God was doing. So in difficult circumstances, it's so important to learn to see God's grand context. What is he doing here? And that's what we see here as we look at the context of Psalm 31. So what does David say? In verse 1 he says, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. He goes back, first of all, and he remembers a step of faith that he took, an important step of faith that he took, and he recalls that, and that strengthens his faith. I think it's important for us to do the same, to recall those steps of faith. Maybe it's that initial faith. When you put your faith in Christ, maybe it's something after that. But never forget those initial steps of faith that brought you to God and that remind you of his power and his ability to work in your life. May they be strongly etched on the walls of our hearts. David goes back and he looks at that and he begins the psalm with that statement. And then he says, and we go down a little bit further in verse 5, he says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a readiness to die, isn't it? Jesus said that later, didn't he? We need to be ready to die. That's so important. Jesus says that in Luke 23, 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, unto your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. We also have a similar thing when we see Stephen, when he was being stoned, Acts 7, 59. While they were stoning him, Jesus prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. When you're ready to die, there's very little. Actually, there's nothing on this earth that can really terrorize you. When we were getting ready to go back, when I was getting ready to go back, I talked to Chris and Pastor Chris, and he said, Caleb, are you ready to die? I said, well, yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, first, for Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yes, I, I, I believe that, that I am ready to die. And then I think it was the second time, or, or later on, I had talked with him again before going back into Ukraine, and he said, well, Caleb, are your children ready for you to die? I thought, well, 
you know, we, we talked about it, but I don't know, maybe I need to talk with him. By the way, you know, it's, it's easy to preach about being ready to die, but as long as you're not actually facing that threat, right? But when you're facing it, you think about it just a little bit more. Maybe I'll, I'll talk to them. So I gathered them that evening. I said, you know, we need to have a, have a conversation. I'm going to go back into Ukraine. It is dangerous there. There is a possibility that our building could get hit by a missile or something like that. I, I could die. Are you kids ready for your dad to die? I said, yeah, of course we are. I was like, wait. I was hoping you would at least think about that. At least pause a little bit, right? And then one of my kids said, well, you know, we'd rather have you die there serving the Lord than die of a heart attack in McDonald's in America. I said, yeah, okay, I can, see, I can see your point. But they did tell me, they said, well, you know, your life insurance is not going to work if it's an act of war. Your health insurance is not going to work. I said, well, what kind of health insurance? What kind of life insurance did Paul have, right? He had Christ. Plus, I've got Discovery Baptist Church backing me up, right? So I have every confidence that it's all going to be good. And in verse 7, David says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love. Now he's looking to the future. I will. That's a statement of faith. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. It's a powerful, powerful statement about his future because he probably didn't feel very glad at the moment. Probably didn't feel like rejoicing at the moment. But he had faith that that was a temporary, that was a temporary situation. And that he would be glad and he would rejoice because of God in his life. And so are you grieving now? Are you afraid now? Do you have pain now? Know that these are temporary. And that joy will come for those who put their hope in the future, in God, put their faith in him. We can be sure of that. David made these statements about his own faith, about his own condition, but he also made very powerful statements about the truth of God. And our tendency in difficult times is to look only at the difficulty, only at the problems, only at the dangers. But here we have David focusing his heart and his mind and others on God and who he is. And so in verse 14, in fact, this is the response to verse 13 where it says, People are saying, and he responds in verse 14 by saying, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, You are my God. That's the response to people saying that there are terror on every side. So when you hear terror on every side, when you hear people say that, when you feel that, your response ought to be, but I trust in the Lord. I say, you are my God. He's putting himself in the hands of God. And there's no better place that he could put himself. And so when everyone else is speaking fear, we need to speak faith. And he goes on, and he says other things here. He says, my times are in your hands. That is not just this particular situation, but the beginning of my life to the end of my life are fully in your hands. He says later, he says, his face will shine upon me. Again, looking to the future. I will not be put to shame. Verse 17, verse 16, verse 17. I will not be put to shame. Victory belongs to the Lord. Be on the right side. 
that's what I, I tell people in Ukraine. That's why I tell people who support Russia. Be on the right side. But most importantly, be on God's side. And you will never be put to shame. And then he, he says in verse 19, he says, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for me. Again, this onward, future-looking, faith-filled perspective in very difficult, scary, terrifying times. David reminds himself of the good things that God has given him and will give him. Those are the good things like grace and mercy and forgiveness and joy and peace, the greatest gifts that we can ever receive. And those are the things that no one can take away from us if God has given them to us. In fact, he even says in verse 20, he says that these, these, these people and these things that God wants to give us are protected by God himself. God's goodness does not depend upon other people. And it can't be taken away by any war or any tragedy or any sickness or any other problem. And then finally, I want to point out that David made very strong statements to encourage others. He wasn't only thinking about himself here. And so he says here at the end in verse 21, he says, praise be to the Lord. That's how he's going to end this psalm. Tear on every side, but praise be to the Lord. We know that he was in a very dangerous and terrifying situation, but he was praising the Lord. You know what I found? I found that wherever the level of terror and tragedy and torment is high, also there is a similar height of the level of an openness to the gospel and to seeking God. And that's why it's so important, I think, for us to go back to Ukraine, to be there. Because we see that people have a physical hunger, and along with that physical hunger often comes the spiritual hunger. And we as believers need to find those situations. God has called us to those situations. And there are situations here in Washington State and in Harbor area where people are going through terror where there's tragedy, and we need to be there because that is often where the spiritual interest is the highest. But in order to do that, we have to be not afraid to do that. And too often we are afraid to sacrifice our safety. In fact, most Christians don't even want to sacrifice their comfort, right? Not to mention their safety. But we need to be in those situations. Because that's so often where God is working. And so David says, praise to the Lord. And he praises God in this difficult time. And I think that he was praising, uh, he was praising publicly the Lord here. And he says in verse 23, he says, love the Lord as well. Don't just praise him, but love the Lord, all his faithful people. He is giving an encouragement to the people here. He wants them to turn and to love the Lord. This was his motivation. This is a lot of our motivation. What's interesting, you know, 1 John 4.18 says that there is no fear in love. And sometimes I've wondered, how does that work, right? And what I found is that when we are sure of God's love for us, it eliminates fear. Because we know he'll take care of the situation, right? 
The other thing I found is that when we are so full of God's love and we love others, then dangerous situations all of a sudden take a back seat to serving those people. Do you know what I mean? So why do we go back in Ukraine? Because we see the need. We want to be there. We want to help. We want to help our brothers and sisters. We want to help those who don't know Christ. Because we see the opportunity and that motivation, that desire, is far more powerful than the fear of a possible missile attack or something that Russia could do to us. So where there is love, there is no fear. And finally, he says, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And he ends on this powerful note. There is no room left for doubt in this statement of how David is reacting, the actions that he is going to take. He's going to be strong in the Lord. He's going to do what God has called him to do. We would love to do that as well. We seek to do that, and I hope that you do as well. Even in difficult and scary, fearful times, may we be strong, and may we take heart, all who hope in the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that you're far greater than any terrors here on earth, that you give us a very powerful message that can alleviate our fears and help us to boldly do what you have called us to do, which is to share the gospel and share your love with those who haven't heard, to minister to them. We pray that we would be faithful in fulfilling that calling. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.